0: Hello, and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, we have Sharon Bauer, founder of Bamboo Data Consulting. Bamboo Data Consulting is a niche privacy and security consulting firm that basically helps companies figure out how to foster trust and responsibly profit off the use of their data. And with that, here's my interview with Sharon. Sharon, thanks for taking the time today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So Sharon, of uh, Sharon Bauer, that is, of Bamboo Data Consultancy, tell us about what it is you do.
1: Yeah. So we at Bamboo, our purpose is really to empower businesses to make better business decisions that will build uh, sustainable privacy and security programs so that they can instill confidence in their customers, partners, and investors. What we do is we look at how businesses use data, how they protect data. We make sure that they're compliant with regulations But even more importantly, and something that you can't find in regulations, is we look at how they build trust with their consumers. And Mm -hmm. that is instilled in values and principles within the business. And we try to help
0: them foster that. Okay. So we're going to jump into that because it's a loaded topic. Talk to me about the origin of uh, your company. How did it come to be?
1: Yeah. So uh, quite a while ago, I started off my career as a litigator. I was a litigator for 10 years didn't love my job, was trying to find something to be super passionate about. I stumbled across privacy in the issues related to privacy, and it intrigued me. I felt that there was this paradox between wanting to use technology that was collecting my personal information, yet wanting to protect my privacy. I found that really fascinating and a philosophical topic, um, dived right into it, decided to Completely pivot my career in going to privacy. Um, I ended up working at one of the big four accounting firms for a few years before deciding to start Bamboo. Um, I started Bamboo because I felt that there was a need to think very creatively around how to make profit from data, but still have a social responsibility in making sure that you do so responsibly. So we work with small to medium businesses, several startups public companies that wanna do the right thing, but still wanna make a profit, which is what business is all about.
0: Excellent. Okay, so talk about a contentious space you decided to dive into, right? I mean, if people have not read the book, uh, Shoshana Longstein's, the, oh God, I'm freezing on, it is the-
1: Surveillance um,
0: Capitalism. Surveillance Capitalism, that kind of explains how this entire sale of private data and monetization of private data came to be through companies like Google and Facebook then basically I suggest you do. And it's, you know, it has become a a highly profitable stream of of revenue to basically harvest this data and utilize it to direct ads and do any number of other things. But yes, like any new method of monetizing anything, it brings to light questions of responsibility, trust, and ethics. So quite the, the hornet's nest that you've decided to dive into. So, all right, I think the best way to look at this is maybe let's just talk about what happens when you approach a company, when a company approaches you and says, Hey, we've got a ton of data. We have some ideas about how to use it. Talk to us about what it is you're going to do for us.
1: Yeah. So, most of the companies that approach us, as uh, you mentioned, do you know that they're collecting information and they're concerned about whether or not they're allowed to use the information in the way that they want to use it or already using it? The first thing that we do is try to figure out what privacy regulations apply to them. So if you're a Canadian company, one misconception is you think, well, only Canadian privacy legislation applies, which is absolutely not the case. If you're collecting personal information from residents in the EU or UK or in the US or any other legisl- or jurisdiction, you need to consider whether those regulations also apply to you. As some of your listeners may have heard about the GDPR, which is the privacy regulation in Europe and the UK, and to the extent that you're collecting any personal information from those users, the GDPR will apply to you. And the GDPR is a very high standard and has a lot of teeth to it. So you really always need to think about where the data is coming from, not so much where you're processing that data. Once we identify the regulation, the next step that we usually do is we uh, conduct an assessment on either a particular process or program or platform tool that you're using or the entire organization. Don't forget you're collecting personal information through HR, through marketing initiatives, not just from a particular Mm -hmm. app that you've developed. And we benchmark the company. We try to identify where their gaps are. We try to identify what the risk is by collecting this information, how they're using that information, who they might be sharing the information with, and what security safeguards or controls are in place to protect that information. Once yes. we do that assessment, we have a better understanding of what, where their gaps are. Usually, they don't have a robust, or maybe they don't have one at all, privacy program. And we this and our bread and butter is really building out privacy programs, which is creating policies, procedures, processes, creating a culture where your employees are thinking about privacy in the boardroom, but also in the hallways as they're building, designing products and processes.
0: So it's interesting. You touched upon so many things there. I mean, the reality is, like you said, HR data, right? Like even if you're not even the smallest business, the reality is like these, these laws are first and foremost designed around the surveillance economy and everybody around that, but it affects, it affects every piece of data we all collect, right. Including like the information on my, my, my staff members, t-shirt size, if that's a promotional item that I provide them and I need to record that, like it, it basically covers everything. So I think a lot of companies underappreciate the fact that just because they're not quote unquote in- internet technology app companies, that these rules apply to them too. And basically, there's something to need to be aware of.
1: Absolutely. We have companies who collect dietary restrictions on their clients, or uh. rather their, their employees or clients, let's just say. Initially, what's the big deal? But dietary restrictions either can reveal health issues, and then you're starting to collect some health information, or religious beliefs, right? And sure. so you're starting to collect some information, some inferred information that you might might not be treating as personal information and is in fact personal
0: information. My mind really really went to how to poison someone, but sure. (laughs) Watch Glass Onion not that long ago. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, like even stuff like that. And okay, so a lot of companies, frankly, starting up, especially when they don't come from a data intensive background. I mean, most people won't even have this enter their mind, right? They're too busy when they're starting up to basically just get going and, and survive to think about data policies. And then all too often, these things evolve into giant basically messes of, oh boy, now we are we should probably should have thought of a policy a long time ago. I'd make the argument that Facebook and Google found themselves in the exact same role after they invented all this. But so basically, where's kind of that point where companies typically find that they start to take this seriously or start to realize they have an issue?
1: Mm-hmm. I do think that it, it's like a progressive approach that a company should take. And what I mean by that is any company that knows that they're going to be relying on personal information to run their business, to generate a profit in their business needs to think about privacy from the very foundation of their business. This is what we call privacy by design. I'm not suggesting that you need a robust privacy program, but you need to think about from the initial stages of your design, what information you're collecting, how you intend to use it, Do you have a lawful basis for collecting that information? Do you need to seek consent? How is the data flowing through the various business functions or to third parties? If you don't think about those things at the very initial foundation or design of your platform, for example, if that's what you're designing, then you're going to be at risk of having to redesign the whole thing. Because once 5, 10 years, you start thinking about privacy and compliance, you realize, oh crap, we can't really do that. Guess what? You're going back to the drawing board and spending more money. There's huge business disruption and a significant amount of time wasted. And I've seen this done before with a startup and they were up and running. They were successful. And then they decided, you know what, we want to go public. We want to look look at our privacy um, practices. We came and We're not here to tell you what you can't do and try to inhibit your growth in any way, but we are here to tell you where your risks are. And if there is a significant risk because you weren't collecting proper consent, you're using this information for a purpose for which you never even told the users that you would use that information for, that's a huge problem. And so they had to go back to their developers, redesign the entire app, the entire client journey, really, And that created a huge disruption for them.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, yeah, especially when you start, when you start off and your things are slow, it's easier to build a platform to basically move faster on later, as opposed to going back and reinventing everything that is as a painful, painful way to do things. Because when those processes and everything else are already well well laid out.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll give you, I want to give you one other example that I think might resonate with some of the listeners. Um, I just finished working with a startup They did not have one client yet, and they were trying to get their first client, and they're a B2B company. Um, And while in discussions with their uh, prospective client, the client had asked them to fill out a security and privacy due diligence questionnaire. Wow, there it is. And so they looked at it and they realized all the answers were, no, we don't have this. No, we don't have this policy, not this procedure. We don't know. We don't know how we're protecting the information. And guess what? That prospective client said, well, you're a huge risk to us. Unless you have these systems in place, we can't work with you. As much as we love, love what you have to offer us, and it's a huge value to us, we can't. And so they hired us to come on board Build out their privacy program. Again, they're so small; they're like a two-person company. And so, so we try to build a program that is realistic for a two-person company, but a company that still collects very sensitive information. And at the end of that process, they were able to answer that questionnaire truthfully, and to the extent that ended up landing them that gig with the new client, their very first client. So that is another. Thought for your listeners, even if they're a B2B, they are a risk to their prospective clients, especially when they're handling personal information.
0: Well, I think the examples I've seen with companies that I deal with that I advise is that like if you're a B2B, you're probably going to be alarmed about this, alerted about this need far sooner than a B2C con- uh, company starting off, right? That's the 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 outside partnerships that you look to draw when they basically just give you that checklist and you go, ah, uh, yeah, nothing. Like, and it costs you business. Like that's the wake up call. Whereas in the B2C space, I think you get away with it for a lot longer and can get a lot farther because it's one of these things where "Eh, it's not broke. It's don't worry, we're not going to fix it. And then suddenly some partnership or something else makes you aware of it. And it's like, oh boy. So it's, it's a challenge. So, okay. So you help put in place these frameworks. Like, can you give me some of the, the key best, like what are the key best practice areas you look at? Is it like I'm guessing it has to do with like who has access to permissions, what data is being shared under what circumstances isn't does it need to be shared? You know, what what what's involved in all this?
1: Yeah. So we tend to look at the data lifecycle, starting mm-hmm. from collection. So how are you collecting this information? Does the user know that you're collecting information about them in the first place? Do you need to seek explicit consent or is implied consent okay? So let me think of an example with collection of data. For example, most recently, Facebook came under fire again because they were collecting personal information, of course, about individuals for the purposes of targeting ads at them. Instead of seeking explicit consent to do that, what they did was they embedded it in the terms of use, terms of service. There was a big investigation on this and turns out that Facebook should have obtained explicit consent to do so. Another example, maybe one that's more appropriate for your listeners, is if you have a chat on your website, right? An AI tool, or maybe not even an AI tool, but it is recording. There's a transcript um, Uh recording that chat and you are collecting information from EU or UK users, you need to seek explicit consent to collect that information and to to record that chat or a transcript of that chat. So those are things that you might not automatically be thinking about. Do I need to seek consent? Do I not need to seek consent? It usually starts off there with a collection. Then it goes on to, well, what is the purpose of collecting this information? Are you using it for your own purpose to provide a service? Are you using it for a secondary purpose, such as to improve your own business? And that is a concern as well. We need to think, we always need to think about being forthcoming with the reason why we're collecting information. We need to look at where we're storing information. Are we storing it within the jurisdiction that you're doing business in? Are you storing, are you collecting EU data, but then storing it in the US? If so, there's going to be some um, steps that you need to take, contractual measures, as well as organizing. Well, let's
0: be clear about this, because this is the thing that's a bone to pick for me so badly living yeah. in Canada. And, and the number one question that comes up is we're, when we're looking at vendors is, oh, where's the data stored? And my response is, that's not a point. Like, the point is, is that do they meet up to the requirements to store them off con- outside the country? And even a regulation, Pepita, that's, that specifies this specifically says, it, we don't say you can't do it. We just say, here's the criteria for what you have to do. So that's sorry, right. That's my that's my rant, and thank you for confirming that because it is my because it it's kind of like become the, th- the the obstacle people throw up when they're just scared and they don't know what else to say or they just don't you know people basically say it, they don't understand the problem. So so let's be clear: you can store outside of the jurisdiction. You just have to meet the jurisdiction's requirements for storage.
1: Well, so so yes, so and again, it all depends on what jurisdiction we're talking about. Both the yes. originating com- country where the data was originally obtained and where it is being stored. So in Canada, you like our laws say that you can store data wherever you want to. It does not have to stay in Canada. We're talking about private sector, okay? And I'm also not talking about health information. Health information is is a little bit different. PHIPA is a little bit different and most likely you will need to store it within Canada, okay? We're talking about private companies and so you can store it wherever you want, so long as you notify the individuals in your privacy notice that their personal information may be stored out of Canada, and that their personal information, um, their personal information will be handled in accordance with the laws in which the data is stored. So if it is stored in the U.S., then U.S. regulations will apply to that data. So if the U.S. government has uh, legislation that allows them to review data, then that data might be reviewed by government agencies, okay? However, if you're collecting EU data and Uh you're transferring it to the US, it is not that simple. Uh You do need to have certain measures in place, which includes something called standard contractual clauses. And it's an agreement, between the exporter and the importer, that the data will be handled in to the same level of protection that they would receive in the EU. So we know the EU has a GDPR, super high standard, uh, very robust regulation. All those rights that individuals have in the EU, they should also have even if the data is stored in the US. And so Apart from signing a piece of paper saying, yes, we will comply, those companies actually need to comply and actually need to be able to provide the same level of security, the same level of rights. So if an individual wants their data to be deleted, even though they may not have that right in the US, it doesn't matter. If they're an EU resident, they still have that right, even if the data is stored in the US, as an example.
0: Oh, excellent. Okay. So there's a side. There's a sidetrack. Okay.
1: Yeah. There so. you go. <laughs> um, Personal all right.
0: bone to pick. Always.
1: Right. So we talked about collection. So the data life cycle. Right. Like we look at collection. How are you yeah. collecting it? Uh, what consent do you? have? Why
0: are you collecting it? That's another wow. purpose, right?
1: Purpose yeah. is why are you collecting it, and have you notified those individuals that you're collecting it for that particular
0: purpose? Yeah. Why are you asking for my waist size if I'm trying to buy a beanie baby online? <laughs> like it's just yeah.
1: exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, like, ding, everyone should be concerned about that, but some people just don't don't even think. Next, where are you storing it? We discussed that. Uh, fourth is who do you share it with, both internally within your company? Like, why does, I don't know, DevOps need information about a user's personal information? Like, perhaps they should only be getting anonymized data to be working with. So yeah. we're always looking at who has access to that information, Inside your company, because you can have rogue employees, believe it or not. And we've seen that time and again. And then also, third parties, third parties, your vendors are probably one of your biggest risks. There's a misconception. Oh, like it was my vendor's fault that the data was breached. It was their breach. It wasn't us that was breached. It doesn't Mm. matter. If you gave that information to your vendor, you are the custodian of that information and therefore ultimately responsible and liable. So you can outsource data, you cannot outsource your responsibility. And that is something that must be remembered and you must do your vendor due diligence, right? We talked about that at the beginning where where my B2B client was asked to fill out a questionnaire. That was because that company was doing a really good job doing vendor due diligence on my client as much as my client hated it. Like I commend their client for doing that. You need to make sure that the vendor that you are in business with also has good privacy and security practices and are not using that data for their own purpose. It has to only be for the purpose of providing you with a service.
0: Yeah, I would also say that, like, you know, we're talking more about the data usage, but I mean, when, the thing that typically overshadows that is the security aspect. It's always security is the first concern, and rightly so. And I mean, the SEC passed the rule and basically is gonna require everybody to be SOC 2 certified if they're gonna be a vendor that's used by by someone licensed by them, but by a certain date. But at the end of the day, like, yes, it's nice that it's secure. But the question also comes down to what are you giving them? Like, why does it need to be everything? Like, and typically the default, I, I will say, defaults to everything, right? And let's, let's also be realistic here. There's a certain amount of cognitive energy that you can expect a business of two or three people to go through, you know, especially like, oh, my, does my receptionist have access to the entire CRM? Yeah, well, probably, right? <laughs> like, I think that's re, that's responsible. But, but at the same time, when you start getting to the point, like you said, with DevOps, and for example, like. Does a company that, as they scale and has different departments who have very specific needs or very specific purposes, do they need broad, generalized access? And the answer is typically no.
1: Exactly. Absolutely. And then, you know, talking about security, it's a matter of, again, for probably a larger organization, but maybe even a smaller one, if they're collecting very sensitive information, is having those audit logs, like Mm -hmm. being able to identify who had access to what information and when. Right, Which we is see getting a lot, lot employees snooping. And again, there needs to be controls in place that that can't happen or a culture where employees know that is not appropriate and that we shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. That's the responsibility is part of the DNA of the company. And your employees are not gonna know that unless you really send that message from the top saying we are a privacy and security first company. And we take it seriously. And we will audit who's reviewing what data that you should not be reviewing. You know, you also raise how much information an employee has, but the same can be said for a vendor, right? How much information are you giving your vendor? Why do they need all that information? Really think strategically about what information you're giving to them. The more information you give to them, the bigger the risk it is to you. First, because you're giving away information that you shouldn't be giving away. But mm-hmm. second of all, if they experience a breach or any sort of uh, security or privacy incident, then the more information you give to them, the more you'll be under oh, fire.
0: I wow. Yeah. No, and it's interesting. I mean, I, I think, if anything, I worry more about the vendor security piece than anything else, because I also think, like, the reality is, I mean, there's a lot of silly people out there who fail to realize that, you know what, there's a record for everything. <laughs> and frankly, if you're an employer and you're going to try to, you know, and I feel I'm going to screw these guys over. I'm going to download every file into a USB stick and get out of here. The reality is, is there's a record of that download on that computer at that time with that username. Like I've, I've unfortunately seen it happen. Uh, I've heard of it happen other places. And I have clients where it happened. It's just like, every time I hear that, I'm just like, I facepalm myself. It's like, what did they think was going to happen that they wouldn't be caught? Right? Like it's pretty, it's a pretty straight line. I, so I say that at least the, the ability to trace is pretty good within most. Modern systems, if you're using like a modern CRM, if you're using even, geez, you're using Google Docs or, or OneDrive, right? If on a corporate level, there is definite history of that. So, but on the vendor side, and this is where I think we're, you're getting at a lot of it too, is that you're now exposed to an entire other company's policies, right? So you may have things locked down, you may have tracking, you may have policies, you may have culture, but the second you go and deal with someone else, now you're exposed to theirs.
1: That's right. And that's exactly why you need to do your due diligence. And and it's not even a one and done thing. Like, you know, you do your due diligence once, but you work with a company for 10 years. Well, the expectation is that you monitor them could be every two years, could be every three, three years, could be even every one year if they are a high risk vendor, right? You got to watch out for when they may be in the news for a breach and then decide, are we going to do our due diligence on them again? And you have the right and you should have the right. Absolutely. a contractual Right to audit them if you choose to. And that should be part of the agreement that you have with them, that at your discretion, you can audit them.
0: Absolutely. Okay. so you do the audit. You basically look at the life cycle. You identify all these things. You then identify who has access. Talk to me about the process of putting together these policies and then enacting them, because that's that's going to be a cultural change altogether.
1: It is. And that's probably the toughest part of the job. So once we identify the risks, we put together a roadmap to figure out, okay, how are we going to prioritize all of the puzzle pieces that need to go into place? We usually start off with a data map, and a data map is really a bird's eye view. It's a living document of how the data is, again, collected, used, retained, secured, and all that stuff for every process within the company. And then we start to identify which policies and procedures we want to put in place first based on our assessment. So for example, do we want to update their privacy policy so that we can be transparent about what information is being collected? Are we going to build out that vendor due diligence process, right? Many of our clients don't have that yet. And so we need to all of a sudden create a brand new system That if anyone in any business function wants to onboard a vendor, what are the steps? Step one, step two, step three for onboarding that vendor while doing your vendor due diligence and having privacy and security review the answers to see what the risk is of that vendor. We look at how are you going to respond when an individual says, hey, I want access to all of my data, or I want you to delete all of my data, which we're getting more and more of. As mm-hmm. consumers are starting to become more aware of their rights around their data, so it's well, interesting
0: because you... those rights often bump up against like regulatory requirements, right? So, for example, I'm required to keep a copy of everything for at least seven years after the engagement ends, right? So, I'm going exactly. to run that run that request up the flagpole, but I'm pretty sure the answer is no.
1: Absolutely. So then, how do you handle that? How does a company know what they need to do? And how quickly they need to respond, because that's also a prescriptive timeline around you responding to those requests. And I can guarantee you that if you're not going to respond to the liking of the individual or in a timely manner, they're going to go to the privacy commissioner and they're going to file a complaint. And that's going to then blow up into an investigation, which could then also blow up into a lawsuit. So having all those processes in place and training yourself on how to handle them, including privacy complaints that may come up, um, is really important. Now, of course, there's so many other aspects and pieces to a privacy program. But one thing that you touched upon was change management, right? Like you have a company that has existed for many years and all of a sudden we're coming in here and saying, hey, we need to change things up. The most important thing, quite honestly, is, we try to humanize the entire approach. At the end of the day, we're all human beings. We all are accustomed to certain ways that we do it. And it's a matter of trying to figure out the psychology of your employees and yeah. how to make sure that number one, you're not scaring the crap out of them, right? Although this is a very scary thing and many companies try to use fear with privacy and security, all oh, there's going to be a breach and Regulators are going to come in, class action lawsuits, board liability, blah, blah, blah. Of course, all that is a risk, but I don't think that your employees are going to be very receptive to it. If anything, it's going to scare them because they don't really understand privacy and security, or maybe even technology. And so being able to speak to them in a way that they understand, in a way that is comforting to them to know that you are there, we as Bamboo, we are there to help them and to enable them not to scare them. And so we work very closely with every business function to understand what are their pain points what are their objectives and goals with data. They're not collecting data just for the fun of it. Clearly they're collecting it because there's some sort of a benefit. So what is that benefit that they're trying to achieve and how can we help them achieve that benefit in a responsible way so that they can sleep better at night knowing that they're doing the right thing and not putting the business at risk. So it's all about communication. It's, communication is huge when it comes to privacy and security.
0: Absolutely, and I mean, I think it is. It is hard not to to instigate to, to basically say this needs to be done, and because of these risks, without scaring the pants off people, quite honestly, <laughs> I mean, it's a serious thing. Especially if you're just an employee, right? You're like, you know, like I didn't sign up to, to endanger my career. Is <laughs> a lot of the thinking I would think they would go through.
1: Absolutely. And and look, for sure, part of the reason why privacy and security is in place is because of risk and the fear that something is going to happen to the business. But I'm not convinced that that is the best approach to use with your employees. Your employees need to, of course, understand the risk 100%. That's like all about awareness and bringing awareness to your employees, but making them feel really empowered that they're doing the right thing and that you are trying to work with their existing processes. Mm-hmm. We're, we're never here to try to like recreate everything that they do. That's never going to work. And employees are going to get really annoyed with us if we do that. We try to really study exactly what they do and work with them to try to find a better way of doing it. And not, not so much like a better way in terms of efficiency, but a more responsible way of doing things.
0: Absolutely. So talk to me about implementation time. How how long does it take from the time that you get in there until like you kind of sign off and say okay like our consult here is pretty much like you've implemented at least all the steps that we said. I mean I know it's pretty much an ongoing process, right? There's always new data coming in, there's always new challenges, but getting past that first threshold of going from let's call it non-conforming or non-compliant to compliant, you know, how long does that typically take in your history?
1: Yeah. Honestly, that is It really depends. And I hate hate that answer, but it really does depend on the size of the company, right? Like, are we dealing with a 1,000 employee company? Are we dealing with a two people company? So say it's your medium-sized company, I would say, knowing that everyone still has their full-time jobs and are not dedicating their attention 100% to privacy and security, it could take eight months to a year to truly implement a privacy program. That is robust and operational, but just like you said, privacy is not check the box exercise by any means. When I got into the privacy world, the one thing that I recognized immediately is that I'm going to be a lifelong learner. You go to sleep and you wake up with ten new stories that you need to study every single day. And so it's constantly evolving and changing. Regulations are changing. Regulatory guidance is changing. Technology is changing. And consumer expectations are changing. You need to consider all of that. So, to say that you have a privacy program that you just finished is great, but it's only as good as it was the day that you finished it. By the next day, it's out of date. You always need to be working
0: on it. Excellent. So, yes, it's. As always, it's not a destination, it's a journey, but you can at least be at the front of that journey at the at the leading edge of that journey versus the tail end. So that's valuable. All right. So before we go, there's three questions I'd like to ask everybody. And the uh, just just on a positive note. The first is if you had one thing for something you can change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be?
1: Are you asking me that question? I'm
0: asking you that question. One <gasps> wish. One thing, one wish. What, uh, what
1: One wish I can change in my industry? That is a really good question. I have to say. I feel so fortunate to be working in an industry that is very collaborative and everyone is so supportive of each other. And remember, I come from a legal background initially, so it is such a nice change that we're we're all very supportive of each other and understand that not any one of us has the answers to everything and we're willing to help each other out because I might know something that someone else doesn't know and vice versa. It's not so much, sorry, I know I'm going in circles here, and it's not so much about the industry, but maybe about just business in general. I just wish that companies didn't think of privacy necessarily as a cost center. Unfortunately, <laughs> many do, and yeah. I get why, right? It, it, they, they think of it as a compliance matter. The way that I see it, and and I'm so proud to have been working with some amazing companies that are forward thinkers and are using privacy to their competitive advantage and have seen the return on their investment with privacy. I have a home name brand. We've been working with them for three years and they started off with no privacy at all. And in three years, not only have they built a robust privacy program, it is part of the DNA of their business, but their packaging that you see on the stores demonstrates that they are a privacy centric product and that is enhancing their sales. And that is such a huge success story. And I really hope that companies start to think more and more like that. It's about building trust with your consumers showing them that you are ahead of the game. You're not doing privacy because it is a check the box exercise and you need to. You're doing it because you want to. And you know, I I do a lot of talks. And the one thing that I always love to say is when you do it because you want to, your customers can sense the difference. They know that you care about them and that you are going to be responsible with their data. So they will be more loyal to you.
0: Yep. Oh, I hear you. I mean, there's no downside to privacy, quite honestly. I mean, Apple's proved that quite altogether. So, second question, what's been the biggest challenge for the company to where it is to date?
1: Hmm. I'll give you two challenges. Number one is always needing to bring awareness to the topic. Again, privacy is not always top of mind for all companies. It is a huge endeavor on us to educate, 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 and bring awareness. So that is like half of our job other than actual paid job, but we love it. And we're obviously very passionate about it. So to us, this is a fun thing to do. The other challenge just as a business is because the privacy industry is somewhat young, young as in it hasn't been around for as long as other industries have been around. It is hard to find really good talent. And so for me, like as a business owner, I'm always looking to work with the best, but not just the most educated, but individuals who really have a business mind and are not there to tell our clients, you can't do what you want to do. It is a matter of finding a solution so that they can do it and do it in a way that's compliant and responsible. So finding that mix of privacy knowledge implementation, like practical application of privacy, but also having a really good business mind and being creative. I know I'm asking a lot, but I have high standards. <laughs> it's Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And then the last question for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting up in the morning to fight the good fight?
1: It is knowing that I'm making a difference and it might be behind the scenes and No one really knows about it, but knowing that I have made a significant difference in brands that we use and I've protected individuals' privacy is so thrilling to me. And I feel like I'm doing some social justice work in a way. And that is what keeps me going.
0: Well, I mean, the good thing about you, well, I mean, the the interesting thing about your job is that no announcement is a good announcement, right? Like at the end of the day, keeping people out of trouble is exactly what you're looking to do. So if the companies you work with never get into a privacy breach, no one ever hears about them, that's victory. But it's always the attention to the other ones that goes to the other ones, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, and listen, I'm not gonna suggest that none of my clients will experience a privacy breach or incident. It doesn't mean that they don't have a good privacy program. We yeah. always say, you know, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, but Absolutely. so long as you are prepared for it, then you're the winner at the end.
0: That's true. Exactly. Sharon, thank you so much for your time. Very much appreciate it. Thank you. So that was my interview with Sharon Bauer of Bamboo Data Consulting. Hope you enjoyed that and hope you learned about your obligations for data privacy at all levels of your business development. Just remember, just because you're smaller starting out doesn't mean you're absolved. And if you're large and and highly profitable, you're really on the hook for it. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever is your podcast. Until next time, take care.
1: This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at JasonPereira.ca.